KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I had a guy tell me that he drove two hours each way. Just He wasn't even going to buy anything. He just drove down two hours just so he can come and take a picture with me and meet me. You know, you just think like, wow, I just I was a kid, grew up in Levittown and just trying to do my job and, you know, live my dream. And here's people from all over the world that know my name and know my nickname. And I'm like, that's that's cool. That's really, really cool. And our guest this week is professional bowler Bill O'Neill, who hails from Langhorn. Bill, thanks so much for coming in. Matt, thanks for having me on, man. This is cool. So as we're talking here, you just got back from a tour that took you around the globe. Uh, you mentioned Thailand, some other places. What was that all about? Yeah, I was gone for a couple weeks. I went to, uh, first stop was in uh, Bangkok. Second stop was in uh, Seoul, South Korea. So I've been uh, pretty well traveled here this uh this year, uh, Bangkok's a really cool place. So is Seoul, really. I mean, it, it, for me, I, I enjoy you know experiencing different different cultures and lifestyles. And it's uh, you know the bowling is the same wherever you go. You know, it's just it's just only and so you you know it's the same kind of idea. But uh, yeah, there's, there's cool places. And this was this is not unusual. It sounds like you've traveled a lot through your professional bowling career. Yeah, so I've been to Thailand, I think four or five times. I've been to Seoul five or six times. Tokyo a bunch. All over Europe, uh, you know, and all over the U.S. You know, we're, um, you know, we are a niche sport, but uh, you know, we're that same kind of niche in a lot of places around the world. So, um, you know, we we are a little bit have a little popular segments, you know, in places to where we can get over to and bowl um, good events, you know, all over the place. Is Asia big for for bowling, or is that just where these events happen to be? Yeah, Japan and Korea uh, would be our our two biggest markets outside of the U.S. Uh, for a while, it was Japan. I think I think Korea has probably overtaken it as far as as popularity and you know sales of uh, you know equipment and merchandise uh, at this point. But yeah, those are definitely two of our biggest uh, uh, fan bases over there. Is it palpable when you go over there that you're kind of it, it's a different type of, of fan base? Is it a bigger? Is it palpable like when you're at the at the lanes and it's, stuff? It's the same as it as it is here. Really, where like when you're inside the bowling center, yeah, you can feel it. You know, people are. Happy to see you. They they want to take pictures, sign autographs. But as soon as you walk out the door, you know you can go to the Seven Eleven right next door, and and you know no one knows who you are. Um, so it is kind of interesting in that way to where like it's very busy as far as that's concerned inside the bowling center. But as soon as you leave, it's like shuts completely off. So has bowling always been a part of your life going back to childhood? Oh yeah, uh, I got into it. I think a lot of us in bowling have a similar story uh, to where. My dad bowled, my grandfather bowled, my mother, you know, everybody was was in it. So when I was a kid, like most kids, I wanted to be like my dad and be around my grandfather. And that's where they were. They were in the bowling center. They didn't compete at as high of a level as, as I'm at now, but that's how I got my start uh, was with them and just trying to be around them and, you know, and do what they were doing. So when growing up, do you start to consider the idea that bowling can be more than just you know, a family event or, or a hobby? When do you start to think like, I wonder if I could take this, take this pro. So it took me probably longer than a lot of other people. Uh, it was just, it was a dream. Like most kids who do anything athletic wise, you dream of becoming professional in that, in that sport. But I just went through the steps, you know, I, I bowled youth events in the area. Then I traveled to bowl youth events and then I bowled in high school and I was like, you know what, I'm in high school. I'm I'm not bad at this. I'm bowling pretty well, and let me see if I can go to college. I went to college, and it wasn't really till like halfway through 
my collegiate career where I was doing really well. I, I won a couple of uh, collegiate player of the years that I started to bowl some events professionally um, as an amateur. And then I competed. I didn't like do necessarily well, but I competed. I was cashing in the events. I was finishing in the top, you know, 20% of the field. And I said, wow, I, you know, I'm young and I'm still competing at a fairly high level. Let me see if I, I can do it. And I was I'm very fortunate that I had a great um, family support system. So I was able to live at home uh, for the early part of my uh, bowling career. So I was able to, you know, take my lumps on the tour while, you know, not making a ton of money and, you know, still be able to have a roof over my head. Is it something you talk about, like you're halfway through college and you start bowling these events? Is this something you just qualify for? Or are there, for lack of a better term, are there scouts that are looking for guys, that people that they think would, would translate well? How does that work? So in the beginning, when I first started uh, to bowl professionally, it worked like golf to where there was an exempt field. Uh, it's much smaller than than golf. So, we, you know, it started out as 40 guys were exempt on the tour. Then they had qualifiers each week. And then, you know, 64 guys bowled each week. So that was really cool when I first got on because, you know, it meant that you that you made it. You know, you, you did it. You actually are you're the top 40 players in the whole world. Uh, but now uh, that has gone away. You know, we, we, we lost some sponsors. Uh, TV deal went down. So, like, uh, it turned into kind of just an open open field. Uh, I think, you know, there's people that bowl that probably shouldn't because uh, they're just not at that, at that level. And I think they find out pretty quickly that they're, that they're not, but yeah, I mean, as long as you have enough of qualifications to be a PBA member, which I believe is still like a couple years averaging two Oh five in a league, which isn't, uh, you know, which isn't really that, that much, uh, you know, you can get your PBA card and, and come out and bowl some events. So do you remember your first professional tournament? Oh yeah. Uh, Pretty vividly, I was in uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, and I just remember, you know, being like I think I was like twenty four, maybe, uh, and just being around a bunch of guys who I'd I'd watched on television for years, and now here I am as you know one of their peers. You know, it was uh, it, it it was it was tough the first couple of weeks. I was extremely nervous, and to try to you know get rid of those nerves in order to compete against them was was tough. But I learned very quickly, you know, that they were just people like anybody else. And then when you see them, you know, in bowling centers afterwards, whatever, and they're just vulnerable people like anybody else, they just happen to bowl really well. You kind of get rid of those, those feelings and you're able to, you know, just look at them as, you know, just regular people. And, and that made it a lot easier for me. Did you feel right away? I mean, you talk past the nervousness, but did you feel like I can do this? I'm, I, I will be able to, to succeed at this. Yeah, I mean, I knew I would be able to to at least at bare minimum hang on, you know. And for us, you had to you had, at that time you had to stay in the top forty in the points every year in order to keep your card. And I was pretty confident I could I could do that. I, I wasn't one hundred percent sure I'd be able to make a full fledged living out of it and make television shows. And you know, and for us, for the people who don't really know, only the top four or five guys each week make uh, TV. You know, we, you know, we only have like an hour and a half to two hours depending on the event. So uh, it's tough to to get your to get your name out there and your face out there when you only when you have to finish in the in the top five of every event to to get on TV. So uh, I wasn't sure I would be able to do that, but um, you know I've been doing it now for this will be my 14th season coming up. So I've been doing it for a while and it's been going pretty well. So I think you for you got that cup of coffee. I think it was 2004. Uh, 2005, you, 2006 was my rookie year. My okay. rookie of the year. Yeah. So and you become rookie of the year. Yeah. Uh, what was that like to to 
to get an award like that at this. I mean, you're at the top level, and uh, you know, to, to get something like that uh, had to be special. It, it was pretty special. I mean, I, I you know, as a as a competitor, I I had to kind of downplay it a little bit because the the field was a little bit uh, a little bit watered down just because of the qualification process of it all. There wasn't a lot of people who were uh, who were rookies at the time coming in at the same time. So I had to. For me to try to improve my game, I had to make sure I didn't dwell on that and think that I was somebody that I wasn't at the time, and to, to just to make sure that I kept practicing and devoting my myself and my time to to my craft and to get better, and not just uh, you know look back and think, "Wow, I won the rookie of the year." Big, you know, really wasn't that big of a deal at the time. So, what is your? How do you prepare? And well, obviously, you bowl, but I mean. How do you approach what's a, like, say you've got an event on Saturday. What is your week leading up to that? How do you, uh, I think people will be interested to know what the life is leading up to something like that. Sure. Uh, it's a little bit different for me now as a, as a uh, older, I guess, ish player. I'm, I'm 37. Um, so I guess in, in most sports terms, I would be, you know, a, almost at the end of my career, you know, but for, for bowling, it's very similar to golf so is kind of in the middle. Uh, but uh, now I, I don't practice as much as I did when I was in my twenties and even early thirties. Uh, I focus more on the, the mental side of it because at this point I, I know exactly what I have to do to keep my my timing um, and all of the things needed to be sharp uh, without having to focus on the the um, the quantity of the of the games that I bowl uh, and also trying to keep uh, my body in better shape for you know stave off injuries and and, and things like that because uh, you know those things kind of pile up after. Um, after so many years of bowling, you know, we have a lot of knees and lower back issues, you know, with throwing a 15 pound bowling ball, 17 miles an hour for 20 years, you know, you get, you get the, those kind of aches and pains add up. So that, that's really more, uh, of what I do at this point. What is the, the season for specifically? I know the event that you were, we were talking about earlier, that wasn't a PBA. What's the PBA season run? So right now we're like mid January to like, say end of May ish okay. is, is our, is the heart of our season. You know, we do some other things like some overseas events or promotional appearance type stuff throughout the year, but the bulk of our season that 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 we have on on Fox and Fox Sports 1 uh is January to May. Are you bowling 12 months a year or do you cycle down for certain times of the year and then have almost like a for lack of a better term a training camp or spring training leading into to a, a new season? Yeah, so this part of the year, the you know October, November, December part of the year is when I kind of slow down a little bit, um, and there I try to at least at some point throughout each year take like a month off. Don't bowl. Don't walk into a bowling center. Just totally get away from the game. Uh, I, I think it's pretty pretty healthy, and I think you'd probably find that with most sports is that you know you kind of you need that time to just decompress, get away from it all, uh, and then when you come back. You know, I fall in love with the game again. I'm ready to practice. I'm ready to, you know, just get back into the swing of traveling and doing all those things because I, I I miss it. I miss the competition life. So I think if I if I don't take that kind of time away, you know, I, I don't I don't get reinvigorated like that. And you say competition. I'm curious for a sport like this, how much are you competing against? other bowlers and how much are you competing against yourself or against the numbers on the scoreboard? Yeah. So it is kind of a, a mix of, of both, you know, you, cause we have different parts of our events. The first part of the events will be, um, you know, somewhere between anywhere from like 14 games to 24 games of like a qualifying to where you're just beating the board and you have to, 
you know, make a, a, a cut like golf. Uh, you know, you would have, uh, say, 24 guys make a cut or 32 or whatever the format of that mm-hmm. event may be. Um, so at that point, yes, you're just, you're, it's, it's, you're bowling against yourself. It's very mental, uh, but you have to be aware of what the other, uh, what the other players are doing because, you know, the scoring, scoring is relative. So if, you know, some, some weeks 220 is a really good score and some weeks it's not. So you have to be aware of what's happening. Uh, in in that regard, but it's very mental in the beginning of the beginning of the week, and then you know when we have our the next round. Uh, sometimes they're head to head matches. Sometimes it's like a like a round robin. So if twenty four guys make the cut, you bowl everybody once, and you get like a bonus bonus pin structure uh, for winning. So then you're going head to head, and then it becomes a totally different totally different animal. You know we have like a thirty pin bonus for winning a game. So it's the winning the games almost ends up being more important than the the game itself. Do you enjoy going head to head or do you enjoy the the idea of, of going against the board more? What you know, if you had a perfect world and you could only do one, what would it be? I love the head to head nature of it. I think that's just sports in general. I'm a I'm a competitor. I, I love to I love to win and just going head to head against someone and you know is 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 everything. You know, when we I played Baseball and basketball as a kid, you know, just just getting that one on one environment is is awesome, and um, you know, bowling against a full field of people, um, you know, you don't you don't develop like rivalries or anything like that d- doing that. So I really really enjoy the the head to head nature. So I've got it. I've read thirty three hundred games in PBA events. Is that ballpark close? Am I? To I think I- so. I don't really keep track. Okay, uh, it's not something that really. Uh, really matters too much. Okay, you know, I, I for me, some some guys are different. I, I just, uh, I just kind of go out and bowl, and and you know, the the three the three hundred game is really it's only one pin different than two ninety nine. So like, you know, I'm just bowling as many big games as I can, and then when I get done that game, I got to go on to the next one typically. So, um, yeah, so I guess thirty that sounds about right. But it's interesting. Like, how do you, can you tell? I guess the thing I would equate it to is like. I'll talk to baseball pitchers. Uh, maybe a day they threw a no hitter or something like that. I'm like, did you feel good coming out of the pen? And sometimes they'll say, yeah, I knew it. Or like, nah, nah, I was kind of fighting it early. And then I found my group. Is it similar as a bowler where can you tell in warmups that, that like I'm sharp, I'm where I need to be, I'm, my angles are, are on, or there's sometimes when, you know, I'm fighting it and I got to kind of find my way. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can definitely feel it in practice. You know, you can, you just feel your timing is on you, you know, and and that and that confidence because of that leads to can lead to you bowling better even if you're not just the confidence itself. But um, you know, just for a little background of of our of our game, you know, a lot of it is determined by um, the lane conditions, the the oil pattern. So for people who don't know, um, you know, there's oil on the lane, mm-hmm. so it's not just a you know a hard surface where the you know every lane is different, um, every event is different. You know, so we have. Um, the lane is 60 feet and, you know, they put oil anywhere from 32 feet to 52 feet in length. They put it in different volumes. They put it in different shapes. Uh, and the idea of the game is to get the ball to hit the, the head pin and then the, for right-handers, the three pin, which is the one next to it. Um, and you have to hit that at the right angle in order to maximize your mm-hmm. chance of striking. So they can put oil on the lane to make it easier or harder to, to hit that spot. Um, so a lot of the you know three hundreds and, and high scores are very much based on on the environment that we're that we're playing in. So you know not all 
three hundredths are you know are the same, you know, because of that. And are so I'm fast. I'd never heard that before. So is that something you're going to lane X and you've bowled there seven events over your career? Is it always the same oil setup that? It's different in different places, but you kind of know that what you're going to get at, at place X, or do they purposely change it around like they move a hole in go- uh, in golf? Yes, so they do. They change it, uh, you know, quite a bit. Some okay. some places because of the the surface of the lanes are different as well, and the topography of the lanes are different as well. Even though they look flat, you know, they're they're being manually put in. So some places the lanes are screwed down tighter than others, so it creates more of a bow in the lane. So that makes the ball. You know, not hook as much, um, but those things will. You know, you never know until you actually throw the ball. It's very, very much invisible. So, certain places we go to, they have to kind of tailor the oil patterns to certain um, certain lanes. Um, but yeah, when we'll, I mean, I could we could bowl in the, uh, a center ten years in a row, and we could have ten different oil patterns with ten different winners. But uh, you know, certain characteristics are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you'll find with a center to where you'll play the lanes. A similar way, but yeah, it's it's all over the place. Watch, I've watched bowling on TV and preparing for this. I was watching some of some YouTube videos of you, and I've always the places can get raucous as a match is going on. How much do you thrive and feed off of that that atmosphere? Because it really looks like a ton of fun to be in the middle of. Yeah, so we have a couple of different places that we go that are are, are loud. One in particular is uh, in Portland, Maine, um, which is kind of a uh, a place where the people didn't necessarily bowl, really. They were they bowled, but they weren't bowlers. If that if that makes sense, mm-hmm. they, they they you know they weren't really into into the you know the the nuances of the game, but they loved it. So when we started to come there, that's the way they they were kind of treating us like like when they bowled league and they were loud. They were dressing up in costumes. They were doing things that you would do at like a football game, which we never had. Which we ended up people thought we would hate it. We loved it. We loved every minute of it. Uh, and we have other places that it's more old school to where it's dead silent when we bowl, uh, you know, on TV and the dead silence is so much worse. Right. So I've heard much, that. It's so yeah. much harder. Um, you know, it's like you can hear every little thing, uh, and it creates so much more anxiety when it's that quiet. Uh, so the place we go in Portland makes it, you know, we bowled our biggest event there. Our biggest money event there this year was, a. Uh, the PBA playoffs. It was, uh, you know, modeled after the golf kind of one, the FedEx Cup a little bit, um, and so that was our. The top four ended up bowling in Portland in, in in June, and they were still just as loud. And you know, we were bowling for you know, first place was a hundred thousand dollars, and you know, they were screaming and cheering and chanting and doing all those things, and it made it it made it so much easier to to, to compete because of that. Do you have shots from your career that you'll? Never forget, like, uh, in the moments, but like, you know, 10th frame, comeback, stuff like that. And what are some of those that, if I ask you, reflect on your career, that would come rushing back for yeah, you? Yeah, sure. So uh, the, the the moment I'll never forget, I won the U.S. Opens, my only uh, major uh, title in 2010. And that was for my only my second title on the tour. So that usually the U.S. Open is kind of reserved for, like, people who have been out there a while. It's a long, grueling event. We've all on the hardest lane condition so for me to to win that event as such a you know a, a younger type player on the tour that was like that was it for me that's kind of when my career kind of took off uh so that that was but i won that tour, the the last game that i bowled was kind of a blowout so it wasn't i didn't you know have the exact mm-hmm. you know that one particular moment but there was one event that i bowled 
like I think it was like five years ago, and I needed two strikes in the tenth to to win the title, and I got it, and it was a match that I was never supposed to win. Uh, you know, the guy just the way that the that the lane conditions were, they didn't suit me at all. Uh, you know, I. It, it's it's hard to re- really really explain to everybody, so I don't really want to get into too much of the minutia of it. But um, I needed two strikes, and you know, I, like if I had to do it all over again, I bowled like a two forty something, two forty seven or something to win. And if I bowled that game a hundred times on that, mm-hmm. I might not have bowled two forty again. And so, like, and to throw two strikes to win, you know, was definitely a, a you know a TV moment that I'll never forget. I mentioned I watched some YouTube videos, and I saw your nickname is the real deal. What is the origin of that? Because I saw people chanting that in yeah. one, the one I watched specifically. You were going for a three hundred game, right. in the tenth frame, and it, I mean it was great, it, and it had to be cool to be. In What's the origin of the real deal? Uh, so, so when I was in college, um, this is Saginaw, Saginaw Valley, Valley State? State. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was my first my freshman year there. I had, I had two friends who had gone to that school the year before, and they were talking to the coach about recruiting me. Hey, you got to get my buddy Bill. You know, and so, and you know, it's a school in Michigan. So, like, you know, bowling, the word, word doesn't travel as fast uh, at that time. So they, they happened to bowl an event in, in New Jersey, and I came out and tried out, and, you know, the guy wanted me. So then I, I came there, and the very, very first tournament that, that we bowled, I won the singles portion of it. So the coach just, he wasn't meaning it to be a nickname. He just said to my buddies, like, I guess you guys were right. I guess he is the real deal. And then it, and then it rhymes with my last name, right. so I think it just kind of stuck, uh, you know, because of that. Uh, I've hated it ever since, uh, <laughs> uh, because you know, as I started to go out on tour and I was a a rookie, and I'm amongst amongst all these guys, you know, future Hall of Fame players, and I'm getting announced in my rookie year in these pro ams as the real deal, and I was like, oh, this is a uh, kind of lofty expectations. <laughs> Did you have anybody that you could tell was was put off by it that you you felt like that that they were kind of oh really not really uh i think you know the the bowling community is pretty small in that way so i think that you know that that's the story kind of will travel right fast enough and in such a small community that you know everybody kind of gets it and i never was like i wasn't like signing my autograph and then putting like in quotes the right. real deal and you know what i mean i wasn't <laughs> doing anything to kind of promote the name so uh and i think you know once people got to know me a little bit it was easier for them to understand that it wasn't really my personality to to go around and just shout that from the rooftops. But that being said, though, like it has to be cool to have people chanting something like that when you're, you know, trying to finish off. Uh, I mean, that's got to be a pretty cool rush. I mean, I'm even though I've been doing this for 14 years, it's still really cool to me that 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 people will look at me in that way. You know, for anything, like I just did an event in Kansas City. I was doing a just a, a, a an appearance at a pro shop, and I had a guy tell me that he drove. Uh, two hours each way. Just he wasn't even going to buy anything. He just drove down two hours just so he can come and take a picture with me and meet me. And I'm like, that's like that's cool. That's really really cool. And like it can get overwhelming at times, uh, you know, with you know the pictures and the autographs stuff like that. Um, but those kind of stories are make it all worthwhile. Like you know, you just think like, wow, I just I was a kid from from you know grew up in Levittown and and uh, just trying to do my job and you know live my dream. And here's people from all over the world that know my name and know my nickname and now want to drive hours to come meet me. It's pretty cool. Time to take a break on one-on-one. We will have more with professional bowler Bill O'Neill right after this. 
They're on a journey through breweries and watering holes throughout the region. It actually tastes like apple pie in a glass. Okay, I'm getting it now. Now I'm getting the pie. John McDevitt and Paul Kurtz are the Beer and Booze Bros. Don't miss any of their podcasts. That's all I need, another addiction. On the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Our guest this week on one-on-one professional bowler, Bill O'Neill. Toughest shot in bowling. I mean, is it the 7-10 split that we hear so much about that even like the the people that never bowl are, are aware of it? Sure, yeah. That's that's like, cause, because it's it's all luck. You know, you're, you're, there's no space to actually like slide the pin over. Uh, so you're just hitting it into the back and hoping that it... You get the action. Yeah, the... it hits something hard by chance and it bounces out. Like it's... Very, very luck based, and uh, you know it doesn't happen. It doesn't really happen that often. Now you'll get pins that bounce out onto the deck, or maybe into the back into the gutter. But the you know the odds of it actually bouncing out and ending in the right spot is you know super luck based. I think I've only done it like twice. I think in my in, in my whole life. What is the toughest shot that isn't luck based? If you know what I'm saying, yeah. is there a is there a combination that you can practice and, and work on it? And what is it? Right, so like some of the splits we know that are they're just such a low percentage chance of making that most of the time we don't like try to make them. So like um, you have like the four ten, which is you know the pin up from the seven and the ten pin. So you you know there's not it's a very minuscule chance to be able to clip that pin and slide it over in it. So like you know we're just getting we're hitting normally we're just hitting the four pin to try to get same goes for like the six seven. So it ends up being like the 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 ones that are. A, uh, that are easier, but then they become harder because you you're supposed to make them too. Mm-hmm. You know, like so you have like the three ten. So there's like a little bit of a gap between the three and the ten pin, and you're trying to hit the right side of the three pin. So you almost like overanalyze it because you're trying to make it. Uh, so I, I mean, I, for the makeable splits, it would be like uh, you know the two ten would be the hardest one. So it's you know uh, the two pins on the left side, the ten pins on the right side. Um, you know, but you you can make that probably. You know, we probably make that. 25% of the time, I would mm-hmm. say. Do you practice specific things like that? Like, do you have setups where today I'm going to work on maybe not the 210, but but certain things, or do you just bowl to to, to work out and whatever you get, you just work? And am I making yeah. sense? No, yeah. yes, yeah. Well, like, so I will practice my spare shooting. Mm-hmm. So um, because I can throw it um, straight when I need to, I stand in the same spot and look at the same thing uh you know, for all my spares. I mean, I move around the lane for different spares, but I know that if I'm shooting the 10 pin, standing here and I'm throwing it here. So when I shoot the 310, I'm standing here throwing it there. And so uh, it's just instinctual at this point. So I'll go in and practice and make sure that I'm, that my timing is right. And then I'm hitting the spots I need to hit and make sure there's nothing out of line with my swing or my footwork or anything like that to make the ball go offline. But um, not necessarily practicing them to like, get better at them or find a new way to make them. Like that's pretty much all, all done already. And, you know, I just got to go out and, and execute it and, and hit the, hit the shot. You mentioned Portland, Maine being a, a great venue. What are some other hotbeds that uh, you enjoy going and that the, that the PBA is really welcomed and it's a, it's a fun place to take part. Yeah. So typically like the smaller towns are, are better. Even before I was on the tour, um, like Erie, Pennsylvania was always one that people, people love because it's just the, the small town nature of it kind of lends to, to bowling as well. Um, we used to bowl in a in place uh, in Oregon, Medford, Oregon. That was, that was cool. Um, 
but we have a pretty good follow. When we used to we used to bowl the U.S. Open in um, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Okay, and that was my favorite event. Uh, we, we used to the crowds were great. We used to have a ton of people there. You know, you pull people from New York and Jersey and Pennsylvania, and that was always probably the biggest crowds that we would get. So that, uh, but we don't we don't bowl there anymore. Uh, but uh, Indianapolis is always a good one. Uh, Detroit. Detroit, Michigan is always always super popular. Like it's a uh, the biggest bowling association in the in the United States is in Detroit. So that's you know we always tend to get great crowds, people who are super knowledgeable about the game, and you know they make it a lot of fun. What is your favorite part of being a a pro bowler? I mean, aside from you know the obvious, being able to like live my dream, uh, you know, and not necessarily having a real job, I guess would be. Would be a bonus, but the you know the travel I think is cool. You know, it, it is really hard to to leave my family and and travel all over the world. But when I'm done bowling, I'm going to get to say that I, you know I've been to all these places. You know, I've gotten to go to you know places all over Europe. I've been to you know Qatar and Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. Like I've done all those places bowling. Um, you know, not all the, the the best places to to go or enjoy, but. Uh, I've been to, you know, I don't know, 20 countries, I think, at this point. So uh, not many people get to say that they that they can do that while also, you know, doing it for their job and, you know, living their dream. The place you are, either in the U.S. or in the world, the place that you were most surprised that bowling was popular? Uh, popular. Um, or I should say, like, where yeah, like, you were like, wow, I... Did not expect think, this type of turnout. You know, I think the first time that I went to Tokyo, I think, was a, a, a shock. I mean, now that I'm a little older, I understand, mm-hmm. you know, the business side of it and how many bowling balls we sell over there and, and whatnot. But when I first went over there, I think I was maybe like my second or third year on the tour, and I got to qualify for our, this, this special event over there. And all these people were in the bowling center, and I'm like, wow, they just traveled it's been 14 hours on a plane to, to get here. And this many people are still in, you know, are into bowling in, in this way. Uh, it was really neat. Like I just didn't, you know, and, and, you know, you have a huge language barrier. Most of the people over there don't speak any English. So, um, you know, the, the ones that come watch us bowl anyway, so they just know uh, enough to get you to sign whatever they want signed and take a picture. And they were just all really excited to see us. It was, you know, that was a, an eye opening experience for me. Is there, and I say this having no idea, but I know, Obviously, fantasy football is big. Fantasy golf is there a fantasy bowling type of thing? We we tried some years ago, uh, and it just didn't really it didn't really take off within the the bowling community mm-hmm. itself. I mean, I think it's something we should try to do again. I would think I, it lends itself. I mean, to yeah, it. and, I, and and like like every sport, gambling really drives the sport. Right. It's really, I mean, a really huge piece of the of, of the sports. Um, but it's so hard for us to incorporate the gambling into what we do because uh, I think so many people have I don't know, inside knowledge and the, everything is so small mm-hmm. that it's hard to like gamble on it because I don't know but the fantasy the fantasy side of it's something that you know we could we sure should take advantage of I mean it, you know because I, I think it, why not I kind of think it would fall similar to golf and NASCAR those types of things where you know it's an individual but you can put teams together and stuff like that where I think it would you know I'll make a call. I don't know. But yeah, I, see, I think, see what you can do there. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not sure, actually, it's a great question because I'm not sure why we we stopped, really. But, yeah, I think, like, four or five years ago, it was it started to, <laughs> started to catch some steam and people were doing it, and then it just kind of went away. Uh, but, uh, yeah, maybe we'll see if we can get that going again. What, uh, 
what is next for you as we're talking here? It is mid October. Uh, when is your what's next? What's the next couple of weeks look like for you? Yeah, so we go to uh, we have the U.S. Open, which is the last like uh, uh, main big you know the big event we have of the year uh, just outside of Charlotte. Uh, so that'll be the twenty third of October to the thirtieth, and then and then I qualified for a uh, a special event in uh, in China. Um, so that'll be just before Thanksgiving. Uh, so that'll be just you know eight PBA players are going over to bowl, uh, you know a small event with eight um, eight Chinese bowlers. So that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Might be my first time over there. So we'll see see what happens. How many bowling balls do you have? Do you do you rotate through, or do you have one that until something happens you 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 use? Oh no, I have tons. So we you know because of what I was explaining earlier about the about the lane conditions. Um, the bowling balls are very important. So we have balls that, um, you know, the the cores are different and the 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 cover stocks are different. So the you know the covers are different textures to make them grip the lane sooner, or grip the lane further down. Um, you know, it's all about friction, the creating that the you know higher or lower friction on the on the lane surface. Uh, you know, and matched with the oil. So I mean, we I mean we go through, we go through so many so many bowling balls. People wouldn't even people wouldn't even be able to fathom. I mean, like just. I mean, the, the the company that sponsors me uh, has four brands of, of bowling balls. And, you know, we come out with, I don't know, 25 different balls every year. Um, and you know, a lot of them are similar, which is different colors and stuff. But um, for the, you know, for the most part, you know, it's 15 new balls every year or whatever, you know, with different cores and covers. And it's like, it's very complicated. Uh, and that, you know, it's part of the reason why bowling has a hard time gaining any serious traction is because everything we do is so hidden and invisible and, and complicated. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just people, people will see me wheeling three, a three ball bag into a bowling center. And they're like, how do you have so many balls? I'm like, well, I actually only just brought three and I got, you know, 50 of them in my garage. You mm-hmm. know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's an interesting thing. Can you tell like right away, like one run with a ball, like, all right, I like this one or that nah, not going to work. Yeah. I can tell pretty quickly at this point, you know, like just, there's certain the way the ball rolls down the lane that I like in some ways that they don't. Uh, and then when we go to different places with different, you know, lengths and volumes of oil, you know, you can see pretty quickly, you know, oh, this ball is just hooks way too much or this one hooks way too little. And, you know, you, you identify it pretty quickly. And I'm curious, you mentioned the fascinating thing about the oil, the different places. Was that something you knew like in college and you, younger, or is that something that you didn't quite realize until you start really traveling and and stuff, and all of a sudden a shot that at point A was right on, you're doing the same thing, you're not getting the same kind of action. How did you learn about that? Yeah, so like, I mean, it's a pretty well-known thing in bowling about the oil patterns, but like the experience of continuing to do it, you you recognize things faster. So like, you know, we always knew about the the difference of the, you know, of the lanes and the, and the oil patterns, but you're not really supremely educated on it. So you're still kind of going in blind and, uh, you know, the experience of bowling tournament after tournament after tournament, that's what gives you all the, you know, the the knowledge and the understanding of, you know, where is the best part of the lane to play for you. You know, you could be playing in the first arrow, throwing it over the fifth arrow or whatever. Um, but yeah, it just all comes with experience. What's the most you've bowled in a day? Like, what is the the most... Games. Frames, yeah. games so, that you've... Uh, there was this one tournament I bowled in Finland that I bowled the finals were... Two part of the finals were on the same day, and then they had what you would see on television normally, which we call is a stepladder. So, like, 
you know, you have, say, four guys make it, four bowls three, winner bowls two. Uh, and that day I bowled 25 games plus, you know, warm-ups between, you know, each round. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a, a brutal day. When I got done, I was just ready to just lay down. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what what's your, like, your shoulder like the next morning? I mean, that's, even for someone that's a professional, that's an obscene amount of bowling. Yeah, so that's a question I get a lot, and the shoulder is actually one of the least injured Really? Parts of it. Yeah, because when we when we do it properly, the shoulder's not really um, it's not really used. It's just kind of, and I, I think our body is more made for our shoulders to go in that direction than it would be the other way if you're pitching, say, or mm-hmm. throwing a football. Um, so we get all of our power, just like most sports, from our legs. How fast you you know can get to the line, you get in different leverage positions to create create the power. So for us, it's mostly the legs, the legs and lower back is what gets the most the most tired, uh, maybe the forearm too, uh, because, you know, just the way where, you know, the way you ha- create um, revolutions on the ball is basically the same way you spin a yo-yo. So, like, you're not, you're not actually, like, you're not turning your, people think, you oh, you, you like, turn your elbow or you lift. Um, but it's really the opposite. You really have to, like, you know, load your, your wrist and kind of cup it, and then your elbow bends, and then you, then you unload it, basically, like you would do with a yo-yo. And that's how you create the, you know, as as many revolutions as you can. Do you feel the sport gets the respect it deserves? And I ask that because it strikes me if you say no, it's because everybody thinks they could do it. Uh, yeah, I think there is a, a piece of it that people think that, that they can do it. Because um, they fold 10 times in their life. And, yeah, you for, know. for a lot of different reasons. We have a capped scoring system, right? We only, 300 is the highest you can go. And it's easily achievable for a lot of people. Where, like, say golf, like you're never nobody birdies every hole. Like it's not a, a achievable thing, um, you know. And the the things that we do are a lot more hidden. You know, I'm bowl, I'm telling you about the about the oil patterns. Even people who bowl league and average two ten or two twenty don't quite understand what it is that we're that we're doing. So I think it makes it really difficult to get the credit maybe we th- we think we deserve from outside of the. Mm-hmm. industry when the people that are kind of in on the inside don't really quite understand what it is that we're doing. And that's, you know, I don't think we can sit here as professional bowlers and like scream about, you know, respect when, um, you know, we, we haven't really done the things that we need to do as a, as an industry, as, as athletes ourselves to educate people on what it is that we do, or even, um, you know, show people how hard it is or, you know, we, you know, we've, we've had plenty of people, you know, myself included who've like, been on TV, just not looking athletic. You know, it's just like you know, we've we've done those things. Um, so I think it's a you know it's a slow climb out of that out of that process. And I don't think any of us think that we're headed towards a direction where we're going to be some mainstream uh, sport. But you know, we can incrementally get get better, and you know, and um, you know, hopefully, you know, draw some some younger viewers to to the TV. Do you have a? Do you like a? home lane like a place that is con- considered like your your place yeah so the place that i practice at the most um is amf bristol pike lanes it's in uh it's in croydon um uh, i bought levittown lanes in levittown for for quite a while so those would be the be the two places that i you know would call home um you know just the my son bowls saturday morning league at, at, at bristol pike so it's just the place where i end up you know it's most convenient for me it's you know, right down the street from my house. So, 
you know, makes it easier to get in and out of there. Are you able to, I don't know how it, do you ever just bowl for pleasure? And what I mean by that is just a couple friends or you and your son, or are you always on as a competitor and you can never just kind of let go and, and just have it be just a friendly game. If, am I making yeah, sense? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I, I don't bowl for what I guess you would consider fun. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I got to get away when I'm, right. when I'm not, you know, it's like, cause you treat it as a, as a job. So like, you don't want to continue to do your job when you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if my son asked me to, then, you know, then I do. That's, that, that's a little bit different. I think the last time I bowled for like enjoyment, I think I would have, uh, my neighbor's 40th birthday party a couple years ago, we went to, um, uh, I forget if it was North Bowl or South Bowl, one of the, one of, one of those two, uh, you know, and I went down there and I, look like a goof because I brought my own ball and stuff and I probably wouldn't do that again. But, uh, yeah, that would probably be the the last time. And, and the time before that, I couldn't even remember. So, uh, very, very rarely do I go out and bowl for enjoyment. And you mentioned your son does a weekends and stuff. Like, does he realize how special what you, you do is, like, as a professional bowler and that not a lot of people do this for a, for a living? Not really. You know, like, he, he's only six. So he he enjoys watching me on TV, but that's all he knows, mm-hmm. you know. So he doesn't really he doesn't really get it, you know. Like uh, he's very he's very very into basketball as well. So we've done a couple events with Chris Paul. Chris Paul has been a, a you know a, a, a partner of ours for a long time. We've done a couple of you know his like charity events, and you know they're on TV. So he thinks that like I know Chris Paul like at like a friendship level, right. and and he thinks I know all the guys <laughs> in that way. So he just got a pair of. Uh, LeBron sneakers, and he asked me to text LeBron to tell him that that he got a pair of shoes. And I said, "Well, I don't really know LeBron like that." <laughs> so he doesn't, you know. He he just thinks that that's normal. Whatever mm-hmm. I do, I'm just on TV. I know everybody else is on TV, and that's how the that's how the world works, according to him. And final question: I put you in charge of professional bowling. Is there one thing, one idea that you would like to implement that you think might elevate the sport to a, a a higher level or or get it into to more markets to stuff like that is there one idea you think that- yeah i mean I, we talk about this a lot and uh, you know we were at the for a lot of years um you know we just didn't have the funds you know to to step out and create a lot of new and you know and cool things that, that we do but for uh, i don't know how much you've ever watched um if you've ever seen darts on mm-hmm. TV, all right. So I think that's a model that like we can use, and the because we're we're a tough um, sport to watch as a spectator because it's uh, you can't put people around the lanes. You know, it, it's hidden. Everything is you know you can only see the pins from certain places in the in a bowling center. So uh, the way darts does it is they have a. I mean, what's worse spectator game than darts? Right? The board's really small. Like, why would anybody go anywhere to watch people play darts? It'd be like ten people around. But they set it up to where there's giant screens, and they create events out of these, out of these, you know, dart matches. And I think that's the the thing that we could do the most is, you know, make make the sport almost secondary to the to the event. And I think a lot of sports do that. Really, I mean, if you look at if you look at football, if they told people that they couldn't drink or tailgate at any event, they're, I mean, the experience at home is probably better. You mm-hmm. know, so like you take out the event nature of of anything it's and you know we don't really have that right now we just are the sport has to stand alone so i think if we got to a position where we could be 
you know, our TV shows could be in, you know, arenas to where we have, you know, create a party-like atmosphere and, and, and have people like hanging out and doing other things and then can look up and say, oh, wow, there's bowling going on too. You know, and I think that's what we do a lot of times with a lot of other things. And I've been to a couple golf tournaments and that's very much how golf is. I mean, there's so many things going on at, mm-hmm. at the golf course that, you know, a lot of times you're just peeking in on what's really happening on the course. So I think that's hopefully an avenue that we can we can go. I don't really know how, you know, how feasible it is, but, uh, you know, that that's what I would like to do for sure. Bill O'Neill, thanks so much for stopping by. Hey, thanks for having me on. And that will do it for this week's episode. One on One is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like the show and want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. You can follow Bill on Twitter at Bill underscore O'Neill. My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.